Hey, good to be here. Um, if you don't know who I am, Tony Sorcy, campus pastor at Cedar Lake. They got me locked down in Cedar Lake all the time. And uh, the only time I get away is if I got some vacation days. Um, and the only time I can get over here is if they schedule me to preach. And so I'm so excited to finally be here. I've been looking forward to this day for a really, really uh, long time. And I know we're going to have fun because I say what's up to the Cedar Lake campus every week and they don't say anything back. So uh, just a bunch of white folks looking at me. Crazy. So I'm, uh, I'm really looking, looking forward to being here. Um, I bring with me some Cedar Lake fam over here in the third row. Got some Cedar Lake family with me. Yeah, absolutely. Got my wife, Pamela. She's on the end right here. Pam, raise your hand. Yeah, that's my wife, Pamela. So good to be here. Hey, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. I don't care if you got a Bible or if your friend's got a Bible or if you got an iPhone or a tablet or whatever. Just get there. First Peter four, we've been going through this letter. So excited to, uh, to bring this piece of scripture, uh, to you. Um, while you're getting there, I want to, want to just tell you about my story really, really quick. Um, always been a, a region kid, region rat, 219, pretty much my whole life. Um, graduated from Maryville High School. And when I say graduated from Maryville High School, not really. I got expelled my junior year, then I had to go do the GED route. I wasn't always on path to becoming a pastor, okay? Let's just, let's just put it uh, that way. Uh, but in the year 2000, God did a really, really cool work in my life, gave me a heart for, uh, met me, um, my destructive, sinful lifestyle with his grace. And, uh, <laughs> hey, man, I know that. And 14 years later, I still can't tell my story without shedding some tears. So uh, his, his grace met my life and uh, changed me transformed me, gave me heart for himself, gave me heart for people. And this passage that we're about to get into here in 1 Peter 4, I remember when um, God softened my heart to himself and I started getting into the word. I remember this was like the very first passage of scripture that I felt like really told my story. And when I read this passage, it really gave me a confidence uh, in the word of God, um, in its reliability and its trustworthiness and its truthfulness. And so I'm really, really excited to be uh, uh, preaching from this passage here. So 1 Peter 4, 1 to 6, follow along with me. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We have a new king. We don't want to live by the the will of man, but the will of God. This is a work of his gospel. Verse three, for the time in the past suffices. You had your time for doing what the pagans, Gentiles, godless folks want to do. Here's a list. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatries. That was some of our stories is some of our stories. With respect to this, they, your old friends, your old crew, they're surprised that you do not want to run with them, join them in the same flood of debauchery. There's a phrase for you, flood of debauchery. And they malign you, talk about you, say things about you behind your back, slander you. But here's a sobering reality. They will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. That's Jesus. For this is why the gospel was preached, is preached, should be preached all day, every day, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the way, in the spirit, the way God does. God, as we come to you, your people gathered, 
God, I pray that you would just uh, illuminate us. God, we bring zero pride to the table here. Anything that we know about you, we know because of revelation, that in your grace you've spoken to us. Any bit of heart that we have for you, wanting the will of God instead of human passions, like this passage says, is completely a fruit of your Holy Spirit by the work of your gospel. And so we come and there's no boasting in this room. There is no boasting at all. We are just simply grateful. We are filled with gratitude for a God that in His grace has loved us so much. And we're thankful. So open up our eyes. Teach us something today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, I remember when I was fresh in Christ, man, new in Christ, like a, like a newborn babe, right? Reading this passage. This passage told my story. And I remember just gaining lots of confidence in the Scripture and in the Word as, as I'm literally reading my story. And here we are in the year 2000. And this book is written first century Asia Minor. And here's the year 2000, some region rat kid, right? Who God saved by His grace. And this passage is telling my story. And I'm like, oh my gosh, right? I'm like, this is me. And this is God. And God is real. And He's doing something in my life. I was so excited. Really want to just summarize this passage for you. First Peter 4, 1 to 6 simply tells the story of someone who for a long, long time has lived their life as if they were king. They didn't know about King Jesus. They lived their life as if they were king. <clears throat> but then they met King Jesus and changed everything. And in meeting Jesus, they were transformed to the very core of who they are. This is this community that Peter's writing to. For a long time, they never heard about King Jesus and they heard about Him for the first time. And in hearing this message of His grace and hearing about this gospel message of His life, death, and resurrection, it changed them to their very core of who they are. Not just behavior modification, right? But change at the heart level. Like where it matters. Like where you don't fake it. Like where it's real. <clears throat> now their deepest desire, though still flawed, is to live in the freedom of God's ways. They're experiencing, because of this, some verbal abuse from their old friends because their new desire to live life God's way. But the sobering reality for their friends of the coming judgment of King Jesus has them wanting to tell others that in Jesus, the same freedom is available to them. And they want to share that with them so that they will live like they live. That's pretty much a summary right there. And uh, no, knowing how long I go over at the Cedar Lake campus, some people are like, cool, Tony, like, let's, just, let's just cap it right there. You gave us a summary. Pray and let's be on our way because I'm always, I'm always holding people over and going over my time. It's kind of a running joke over at the Cedar Lake campus. All right, so Peter starts with the transformational power of the sufferings of Jesus here in verse 1. All right, the transforming power of the sufferings of Christ. Verse 1, since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He's kind of beefing them up for some suffering here. But I want to focus on the work that the gospel has done in their lives. We've talked a lot about suffering. Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I want to focus on that phrase there, ceased from sin. Peter tells us that Christ's bodily sufferings, which Peter has referenced time and time again. This word suffering appears multiple times in this letter. <clears throat> Christ's bodily sufferings ended his conquest over sin. It ended Jesus' conquest over the works of the devil. What does First John say? That Jesus came to what? To destroy the works of the who? The devil. devil. And his sufferings ended that conquest. Victory. 
and ushered in resurrection life or new life or new birth or born again for all of those who embrace Christ by faith. And Peter's point here is simple. That Jesus' sufferings not only accomplish something for you or on your behalf. You know, because there's a lot of things that Christ uh, suffered for us on our behalf that really at first don't affect change at all in our lives. Adopted, redeemed, sanctified, justified, sons and daughters, forgiven, right? All these things. Holy, without blemish. And all those things were true of me before I bore a single piece of fruit in the Christian life. You get what I'm saying? And you bear fruit, not in order for those things to be true or be a reality in our lives, but rather those fruit flows from the gospel and the truth of what God has done on our behalf. Our stories are simple. We're sinners who have been rescued, saved, right? We are not the holy, right? Who after a certain period of holiness, right? God said, okay, cool. Now I'm going to make all these things happen for you because you've earned this. That is not the story of the Bible. That's the story of some other book. I don't know what it is, but it's not the Bible. All right. So not only Peter is saying, he's telling, he's writing to these people who he loves, who he misses. They're in exile. He's telling them not only have the sufferings of Jesus accomplished something for you, it's accomplished something in you. It's done something to you. It's affected change. And, you know, I'm going to tell you what, as someone who's experienced this, you can't help it. You can't even fight it. God wins in your life when you come to see the truth of who he is. I mean, you can fight it for a little while, but you're not going to outlast God. And God bears fruit in our lives. And this is what he's telling him. He's saying this, you've ceased from sin. Meaning this, you're not sinning the way you used to. You can't go back to life like you used to know it before you met King Jesus. His sufferings have transformed us, changed us, completely placed us on a new trajectory. He has rewritten our stories. When it comes to our life, God, by His gospel and His grace, has flipped the script. All right? He's flipped the script of our lives. Here's another way Peter has said it already in this letter, 1 Peter 2.24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Let me ask you, Whose responsibility was your sin? Whose responsibility was that? Yours. Yours. The story of the gospel is one with no sin who made your responsibility his. Took our sins, heaped it up on his shoulder, both of them, and nailed himself to a cross willingly for us because of love. Your sin, which was your responsibility, took it upon himself. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Check it. That we might die to sin. That die to sin. That's the same phrase here in 1 Peter 4. Ceased from sin. That we might die to sin and what? Live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. 1 Peter 4 is telling the story of those who have been healed. From, from, from floods of debauchery. We're going to get into that phrase because that sounds kind of weird, right? Floods of debauchery. We don't really talk like that anymore. So let's unpack this truth. Jesus is literally done with sin. He's done with it. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. And in his sufferings, he has accomplished victory. You know that phrase you use when you've just had enough with a person or a child or a co-worker? Like, I'm done with you. How many times have you guys said that? Maybe not to our, our glory, but to our shame. Right? We said, like, I'm done with you. Like, if I say that to my kids, like, I'm done with you. Like, I don't really mean that, right? Like, I'm not putting them up for adoption, like, the next day. 
It's like a figure of speech. Like, I'm done with you. I was talking to a dude from Cedar Lake, and he was, like, done with his truck because it kept broken down. It's like, he told his truck, like, you know it's bad when you start talking to your vehicles. I'm done with you, right? I'm done with you. Now, when we say that, we really don't mean it, right? But when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he literally meant that he was done with sin. It is finished. There's nothing else yet or needs to be done when it comes to victory over sin. Jesus literally has is finished with sin, is done with sin in his death and in his resurrection. These were the words uttered on the cross. It is finished. Now, here's the point that Peter wants to make, that by faith in Jesus, right, by faith and by union with Christ, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, all the benefits of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection become ours by faith. So the benefits of his death become ours. The benefits of his life, his perfect life, become ours positionally in identity. And the benefits of his resurrection become ours as well by faith. This is not something that we're working for. By faith in Jesus Christ, in a certain sense, just as Jesus is done with sin, so we too are done with sin. That's what it says there in 4.1, that they've ceased from sin. Now, you'd be like, all right, sourcey man, like, you're crazy. Like, I have not ceased from sin. Right? Like, I sin every day. Like, my life is still jacked up. Yes, God's done a cool work in my life, but I still wrestle and I still struggle. I want to break down three different words to give us a a paradigm for how we have ceased from sin and how this has benefited us by faith in Christ. Penalty, power, and presence. When we think about sin, we think about sin, and I alliterated it for you because I'm a pastor because I get paid to do this kind of stuff. Penalty, power, and sin. Okay? We have ceased from sin or we're done with sin just as Christ is done with sin. So now let me ask you, who paid the penalty for our sin? Jesus. Do we need to pay that? Is that ours to pay? No. So in a certain sense, we are done. We have ceased from the penalty of sin. What does Romans 8, 1 say? Therefore, there is now no what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christ took our penalty. We don't have to be afraid of shame and guilt and consequences. We know God as Savior, not judge. Right? right? right, right. So when it comes to the penalty of our sin, we're ceased from that. We're done with that. Jesus is done with that. And by way of His grace, He has awarded to us, gifted to us, this same benefit. That we can be free from the penalty of sin. Now here's a tricky one. Power. The power of sin. I remember in my life... Back before I was 20, I remember just, just sin just dominated my life. It dominated it. I remember like every relationship, every decision, all my friends, everything that I did. Like I really resonate with that phrase flood of debauchery because I felt like my life was just saturated and flooded with sinful choices, sinful relationships, places that I would go. That's all I knew. That's all I knew to do. Right. And I remember that when sin said jump, I said how high. And whatever I thought, whatever I felt, any kind of impulse that I had, I just did it. There was no restraint at all. None. And if I could get away with anything, I would have done so much more than what I did. The only thing that restrained me maybe were like earthly consequences. It wasn't a love for God. And so before I met Christ, sin ruled and reigned in my life. It reigned. It was my king. I was king. And my heart was ruled and dominated by sin and sinful choices. In a certain sense, what happens when Jesus dies and goes into the tomb and he rises again, he purchases for everyone who has faith in Christ, victory over the power of sin. Meaning this, that something in us died. 
Right? Something in us died. When Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives who lives in me. Something about Tony Sorcy in the year 2000 died. And God put in by His grace and by His Spirit new resurrection life. And so again, by faith, all the benefits of the death and resurrection of Christ are applied to us by faith. And this does something in our lives, right? And so the power of sin has been broken. Now, what's not been done away with is the presence of sin. Amen? Amen? How many of you guys struggle each and every day like I do? Right? Like we're new, but we're not completely new. And one day, Jesus is going to come and He's going to remove all impurity and all sin from all of our lives. He's going to rejuvenate this world and we're going to live in rejuvenated, glorified bodies just like Jesus. But that day is yet to come. It's yet to come. And so we live in this tension. We live in this tension that we're new and at our deepest core and our deepest desire, we long to live for the will of God. I want what God wants in my life. But you know what? That old Tony still lingers a little bit. There's that presence of sin there, right? And so this is why I tell my campus, I'm jacked up dude. I tell them that all the time, right? Absolutely. And you know what? There's some comfort in that. And we can come and may our communities always be a place to where we don't have to pretend like we're not. Like we don't have to pretend like we're not broken. Because we are. So the penalty has been broken. The power of sin has been broken. But we still struggle and wrestle with the presence of sin. But nothing yet needs to be done in order to defeat that. We're just waiting for the fruition and the fullness of that to be revealed when Christ comes back. Penalty paid. No condemnation. Power broken. Presence. This is our still our current struggle and reality. Our faith in Jesus has forever changed our relationship to sin. And sin doesn't have the final word on our lives like it once did. And we can't go back to our lives like we once did before we knew Jesus. How many of you guys, after meeting Jesus, like an experience of His grace and His transforming power, how many of you guys have tried to go back to living like you before you met Him? How many of you guys have tried to do that? I have, right? And some people are like, well, since Pastor raised his hand and said he did, they like, yeah, me too, right? <laughs> I did. I've tried to go back. And you know what? I can't. I couldn't. You want to know why? Because I can't outlast the goodness and love of God. I have tried to run from Him. I have rejected His Spirit. I've tried running from Him. I've tried living in the flesh. And God doesn't allow me. Because He loves me. Because I've ceased from sin. And His grace always wins out in my life. And you know what? There might be some here today. You know the truth of the Gospel. Right? Which maybe you're trying to act like, you know, you want to go back to that life that you once had. You know what? It's not working out so well. It's not working out so well. And you know what? Just like the father let the prodigal son go and squander his money, God's letting you go a little bit right now. He's letting you run in the flesh. All right, cool. You want to do this? All right. But just so you know, I'm going to be right here by this window at the end of this road. And when I see you walking down, I'm going to hike up my first century man gear. I'm going to gird up my loins. And I'm going to run after you. And I'm going to call for a fattened calf. And I'm going to show my grace to you. But we have ceased from sin. And our relationship with our old selves has forever changed. Jesus has done something for us and in us by way of faith. And in this passage, Peter's talking about the moment in the past that marks the end of sin's reign in the lives of these people that he's talking about here. They have ceased from sin. Uh, Paul said it this way in Romans 6. Now, if we have died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. Again, a death and a life, right? Something in me died, something in me lives, right? This is the life of Christ. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We got that, we got that Romans passage up for you guys right there? All right, I want you to notice something here. Notice how that our change in our lives is all wrapped up in something that Jesus did. This is not something that we muster up. This is not white knuckling, bootstrapping, like we're trying to be holy folks on our own power and our own strength. This is literally the life of Jesus in us by his spirit and something that he killed in us when he was crucified and when he was buried. Just as Jesus died, we died. Now I want you to see, all right, I want you to see in this passage right here in Romans 6 is the first commandment that comes up in the book of Romans. How many of you guys think that the Bible is the, the handbook for the holy and it's filled with a bunch of commands and things that good people need to do to become better people and bad people need to do to become good, holy people. How many of you guys have a view of the scripture like that? It's not that. I want to tell you why. Paul's just got done writing for almost six chapters, not a single command. All he's been doing is talking about the lavish grace of God towards sinners. And the very first commandment that he gives is right here in Romans 6, 11. It says this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. You know what in essence what he's commanding us? Believe it. Believe it. Just consider it true. Know it. Lock it down. Believe it. Very first command and the only command. What is, the, what is the works of God that somebody asked Jesus? But how do I make it to heaven? What are the works of God? Here's what Jesus said. The work of God is to believe. Why? Because it's finished. When the job's done, there's no more work to do. Right? And so we don't need to act like there's something we need to do to, hurt, to turn the heart of God into our favor. But we, we need to realize this, recognize this, consider it as true in our lives. All right, I need to skip a bunch of stuff because I'm like, ad libbing over here. Okay. You are transformed in Christ because of his sufferings. Now watch this now. The sufferings that these folks are currently experiencing are proof that they've been made alive. Are proof that they've died to an old relationship to sin. But more on that in a second. Look at a little bit more about their transformation in verse 2. So he says to them, right? Like like you've ceased from sin. You're made alive in Christ now. Look at what he says in verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time, like the rest of your days on earth, like, like, like since meeting Christ, every moment past that till you like die and leave this place. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, which is what you've been doing, but for the will of God. Then he tells them for the time in the past is sufficient for doing what just godless folks do. People who don't know King Jesus. And then it gives a list of some of the things that they've been involved in. So the rest of the time you have in the flesh or while you're still alive on this planet, because your relationship with sin has changed, you're transformed. You're going to want to live the rest of your time, not for human passions, but for God's ways. This is the fruit of his grace. And that's a description of their transformed life there. That's not so much of a command. That's a description of what's happened. So as to live the rest of the time, not for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter's describing what is true of them now. He's, this is not so much a command, but it's a description of what's happened in their lives. <clears throat> they don't want to live lives dominated by human passion, living impulsively in the flesh. They want to live a new life in Christ, God's will, God's ways, God's kingdom. That's the fruit of Christ. And then look at what he says to him. He goes, guys, you've had your time. 
The time in the past suffices, right? You've had your time to live YOLO. You've had your time to live La Vida Loca, whatever kind of phrase we need to throw in there. You've had your time, right? To live the gospel of YOLO out, right? right? You only live once, throw caution to the wind. I'm just going to like get after it. I'm just going to break commandments like it's my job, right? <laughs> the time in the past suffices for that. You've had enough time in that. You know what it's like to live without knowing King Jesus. <clears throat> and look at what has been in some of the past of some of these people here Peter's writing to. Look at their stories here. Look at who God is redeeming and including in this kingdom, right? Look at their stories here. Kind of some of the usual suspects here. Getting hammered, sinning sexually, living impulsively, and breaking commandments. Hey, you want to know who God's after in this kingdom? You want to know who God's getting on his squad and on his team? These folks. Folks like this. People who have sexual um, uh, scarred pasts. People who have partied their guts out. People who have given their lives to breaking commandments. This is who God goes after. This is who God has a heart for. This is who God loves. And I'm thankful for that because this was me. So we don't need to prop ourselves up like we're the ones that have lived squeaky clean. Because God rejects those kind of folks. God wants these kind of folks. He loves them precisely because they're lost. And some of you guys here, like you're looking at your life or you're looking at your past and you're seeing some of that stuff right there. And you're like, man, God doesn't want me. He doesn't want a relationship with me. He doesn't want to love me. Why would he want anything to do with me? And I just want to let you know that it's precisely because you're lost and it's precisely because this is in your past that he wants something to do for you. There's something in the heart of God that loves rebels. There's something in the heart of God that loves the scoundrels, right? Right, just the jacked up of the region. And I know because I'm a testimony of that grace in my life. So please be encouraged by their stories, by seeing, you know what, there's not anybody that God rejects if they humble themselves to see that they need the grace of God. Now, I kind of funny that we, I kind of find it funny that we haven't really progressed in categories of sinning, even in 2,000 years. It's like coming to some of the same old usual suspects, right? It's like with all of our, you know, uh, uh, creativeness, like we really haven't progressed past getting hammered, sleeping around, and breaking commandments, you know, like... It's kind of some of the same old stuff, even though we're almost 2,000 years removed from from that. Now, here's what I want to say to you. You have to understand that for these people that Peter is writing to, they didn't grow up with the baggage that I grew up in growing up in a Christian home, which was a privilege, but it comes with some of its own baggage and hangups. How many of you guys grew up in Christian homes or had major Christian influence in your life from a grandparent, a parent, something like that? Okay, a number of us. Some of us are probably like you're like me when someone asks me to raise my hand. Like, yeah, I, I could raise my hand, but I just don't. I don't like to participate in things like that. Like, if you tell me to fill out a card at a church, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not filling that out. Right? That's me. I always tell my campus, like, hey, if you don't fill this card out, I'm like, I get it. <laughs> we got to understand is like, think about think about what it was like for these folks that Peter's writing to. They did, they didn't grow up like me. Like there was no backsliding or asking Jesus into your heart or rededicating your life to Jesus. Man, I went to church camp. I asked Jesus in my heart like every year, right? Man, I got saved at least 50 times, right? Like don't quote me on that. That's my theology. I'm just saying like 
I've gotten saved at least 50 times, right? And I grew up with all this kind of baggage until I experienced and met King Jesus and experienced this life transformation in the heart like these people have. So you have to understand, this is all they know. It's human passions, godlessness, no Jesus, that's it. Now, what sometimes, what we think is we, we grew up, okay, some of us have this in the past. We've heard about Christ. We've been introduced to the truth of the gospel, right, very early on in our life. We've had a parent or a grandparent or a church, someone faithful in our lives to tell us about Christ, right? But they didn't have that. Now, why do I say all that? Because having a heart posture towards people that goes something like this. You're an idiot. You know better. Get back to church. That makes about as much sense in our day for some people that we know as it did for people in Peter's day. Here's what evangelism used to be like in Billy Graham's day. Back when they used to shut the town down and the local town drunks used to dust off the three-piece suits and go hear Billy Graham at the, at the, you know, the, the, the tent revival, right? Everybody shut it down. You know what Billy Graham essentially said to him? Return to what you know. You know the truth. Return to what you know. In Peter's day, they'd never even heard of Jesus. It's a pre-Christian context. You know, in our day, we're slowly drifting away from a time when Christianity ruled the world. We're heading into a post-Christian context. And some people are like, oh yeah, Christianity. Like, I remember like my grandparents took me to like DBS back in the day. Yeah, I remember that. That was a really long time ago, right? So in Peter's context, they've never heard of Jesus. And in our day, right, people vaguely remember him. So having this heart posture like, man, why are you living like this? Don't you know the truth? Don't you know that's wrong? Why don't you come back to the truth and the God that you know and get back into church? That means nothing to people in our day. Some. Some yeah, some no. I remember I was talking to a guy one time and he was talking about Christianity to me like generationally. And when he said we, he meant guys my age. Okay? He goes like this. He goes, he goes yeah, he goes, Christianity. He goes, church. He goes, man, that's something my grandparents did. He goes, we, talking about my generation, goes, we don't do that. And I found that funny. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Because all I know is people that are into that. And then I realized, oh, yeah, all my only friends are Christians. And I actually am in a huge bubble in my life. And I'm just surrounding myself with people that just know God. And then I found joy, right? And just hanging out with people that don't know him. Actually, it's really refreshing, right? It's really refreshing. And you just get caught up in this bubble, man. Like where all you know is just church folks. They think like you and talk like you and believe like you and all these kinds of things, right? And we got to understand that there's a generation of people out there that you don't, like, you have to treat them like, like and, and, and talk with them and, and relate to them, right? Because they've never heard of Christ before in their life. I mean, I got friends, their only interaction with Christianity is like a, a parent of, of, a, of an old girlfriend that after they got their first tattoo, they were like, you're not welcome back at this house anymore. And that's their only interaction with the gospel. That's their only interaction with, with church folks, right? So it's just a different day and we need to think through like this. And so I think we find some, I think we find some comfort and some encouragement in Peter's writings, because regardless of what the numbers are, we can throw the stats out. Jesus is still building his church and he's still meeting people exactly like this where they are and saving them and rescuing them and changing them. So we're encouraged by that. Okay. Let's talk about verse four. These folks are meeting some opposition here, right? They're meeting some opposition. So here's their new life, right? They've, they've, they've changed. They're, they're on a different course and they can't help themselves. 
because this is just the fruit of God's grace. Like I remember like wanting to get into the word and not wanting to do some of the same things that I, I once did. And I remember like, man, I'm not even trying to fabricate this. Like it's just happening in my life. It was almost like this weird like transformation. I was just riding this wave of God's grace. And then I read John 4 where Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit and he says, uh, the winds blow where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but don't know where it go- is going. So it is a man who's moved by the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know where I was going. I didn't even know what God was doing to me. I just was bearing this, this fruit in him. And you know what? When that happened to me, there were some people that weren't really excited about that. You know, there was a lot of people that were really excited when I came to faith in Christ. And there was a lot of people who I knew that I thought was really, really weird. I remember this one time I told this guy, like, man, like, yeah, I don't really want to do that anymore, man. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I met Jesus kind of thing. He goes, dude, like, were you smoking when this happened? <laughs> like, did, like, did you have, like, a spiritual, like, experience while, while you were smoking some weed, man? I'm like, no, dude, I wasn't, I wasn't high, man. Like, I met Jesus, man, you know? Like, he just didn't get it. He didn't get it. <clears throat> and, I, and I don't blame them, right? Look at what it says. With respect to this, they're surprised. They're surprised. They're like, what? When you don't want to join them in the same flood of debauchery, right. right? That phrase just means wild and reckless living. Just in case someone asks you, like, yo, what was the sermon about this weekend? You're like, we talked about floods of debauchery. <laughs> and I have good news for you, brother, because it seems like you're swimming in floods of debauchery. <laughs> like, don't talk like that with your friends, all right? <laughs> don't talk like that. It just means wild, reckless living. Like the kind of lifestyle I was living, I just, that's how you should describe it. Like I was just living a disastrous, reckless lifestyle. They're surprised you don't want to come with them. Dude, what do you mean you don't want to drink till 4 a.m. and spend the rest of the next day throwing up, man? Right. What are you talking about? What do you mean you don't want to go find some random people to sleep with? What are you talking about? What do you mean you don't want to go break commandments and hopefully we can end up in the back of a squad car? Like, are you nuts, man? You don't want to do that? You know, like, I'm like, man, like, I don't want to do that. They're like, what, are you crazy? Right? That's all we knew. That's all I knew. That's all we did. Like, literally, we just saturated in this lifestyle. <clears throat> and it says here that they're surprised. They're surprised that you don't want to run with them. <clears throat> right? They don't want to run. You don't want to run in this old lifestyle that you've been rescued from. And here it says that they malign you, insult you, make fun of you. Now, I've always liked this passage because I've never really faced anything more from my faith than just people talking a little smack about me. Right. And in a certain sense, I really don't resonate with a lot of First Peter. Because it's not my context. Because I've never been crucified upside down because I have faith in Christ. All right? And so some of this is a little, like, culturally detached. Even in our day, which is a postmodern setting where people say there is no capital T truth. Like, there is no truth that transcends all peoples, all races, and all groups. Right? That's what's true for you is true for you. Hey, bro, you want to believe that? Cool. That's cool for you. Right. And because that's the context of our day, like nobody's offended when I'm like, man, I trusted in Jesus and I don't really want to do that. Oh, man, I don't get it. That's kind of weird. But man, cool for you. That was go about our day. Right. We're not like throwing stones at people because they don't they, they believe in Jesus. But the most I've ever experienced from my faith has just been just a little bit of like making fun of. Like I remember this old tattoo artist I used to go to. He'd call me up and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? Like try to set an appointment with him. He goes, what's up, bro? Did you walk on water today, man? Right. <laughs> I just laugh, like, nah, man, I didn't walk on water. Only one guy did that, you know, like, and it wasn't me, you know. <clears throat> they malign you, talk about you. Listen, I got saved. I became a Christian when I was 20 years old, and I was swinging a hammer on a construction site 
with a bunch of guys that were 20 years older than me that snuck me into bars and they lived this kind of lifestyle. How excited do you think they were for me and my new life in Christ? They weren't at all. In fact, I didn't hear anything but just maligning and making fun and talking about me. So I know this, right? There's this, this friend of mine. I, I, I sat down with him for a cup of coffee, and I was talking to him, and I just was like, man, telling him about my life. And he's just like looking at me like this, and not just because I got these lights in my eyes, but he's just like looking at me like this, and he goes, man, I want the old Tony back. And I'm like, dude, that dude died. He died. I can't bring that guy back. Even as much as I've wanted to in the past, right? And they malign you. Now, I'll tell you what happened when, when people start, like, making fun of you, poking fun at you, saying stuff, talking about you behind your back because of your faith in Christ. You know what you want, seriously? Literally, when, like, when people mistreat you because of your faith in Christ, you want them to just know. You want to get back at them. Like, you want them to just see King Jesus so they can be like, yeah, be like, what's up? Shut up now, right? I'm right. You're wrong. Right? You want to have this, like... You want to have this moment in the flesh like, what's up, dude? What do you got to say now, you know? And so in a certain sense, like when Peter says here, right here, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. There's a certain strength and a comfort for that, for people who are especially like mistreated because of their faith in Christ. But there's also a sobering reality there that even though they've been poking fun at us, even though they've been dogging us, Jesus has given us his heart for people. And we don't want them to be judged. That's right, that's right. In a real honest moment of self-evaluation, in one hand, we would love it if they were judged and we can be vindicated and see I told you. But when we really think about it, God has put in our hearts the love of Jesus for people and we don't want people to know Jesus is judged. We want them to know him as Savior. Yeah. And so this is what he says. Amen. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The him here is Jesus. He has come and dealt with sin sufficiently, all right, sufficiently in his sufferings. He's done with sin. And now he is ready to judge the living and the dead. I'm reminded of Pac's famous, only God can judge me. Right? You guys know that. Only God can judge me. How many times have you seen uh, a t-shirt, airbrushed, or a tattoo? Only God can judge me. Apparently, Peter is telling us that not only can Jesus judge, now that he's done with sin, he's ready to judge the living and the dead. But now is the time of grace. Now is the time of grace. Now is the time of patience of God. And he has left us here. And he has not come yet back to this earth to remove the dross of impurity, to open a can on his enemies and forever save us who trust in him. That day is coming. Why? Because God has a huge heart of grace and patience and mercy to those who don't know Him. To those like those here in this First Peter passage that are living and swimming in floods of debauchery. Right? And He's waiting patiently because though they swim in floods of reckless living, He has a different ocean for them to swim in and it's called the ocean of His grace. Yeah. And the people in this passage used to know all the shame and the guilt and the consequences of just living and swimming in a flood and an ocean of reckless and wild living. And now they're drowning in God's grace. And they're riding a wave of His work in their lives. And God wants us to have a heart for these folks. Why? Because you used to be one of these folks. We don't come to people from a higher position. I'm up here. You're down here. We don't look our nose down at anybody. I love the old phrase. We literally are beggars telling other beggars where to find food. 
And by God's grace, we've stumbled across a sweet dumpster, right? With some, with some sweet nuggets in it, right? I can't believe I just gave a reference to dumpster diving in God's grace. But that's okay. It just kind of happened like that. <laughs> this is why good news is preached to those who are dead now, Right? This is why we preach the gospel, Peter says. This is why we share good news. So that people might live instead of be judged. We want people to know Jesus as friend, brother, king, savior, not judge. This is why we share good news, not good advice. Good advice is this. Stop swimming in floods of debauchery. That's good advice. Good news is this. Jesus has come, live, died, and rise again. So you can swim in a different ocean. An ocean of His love and grace. We don't, we don't have a posture towards people like, stop doing that, right? It's like, yo, I get that because apart from his love, I'd be right there. But let me tell you about a different king, a better king, and a better way of life and a forgiveness for those. Good advice is stop drinking, smoking, sleeping around, and breaking commandments. Good news is this. There is a God that has a heart of grace to you even in your sin. And he's made an end to sin with all of its penalties and power in our lives. He lived, He died, He rose again so you can know Him as Savior instead of judge. And this grace and this life is available to you by faith. It is finished. Jesus is done with sin. There literally is no more work to do. That's why salvation is by grace through faith. Jesus did all the work. Nothing left for you to do except say, yeah, I need that. You know, the only prerequisite to grace is this. Realizing you need it. The only prerequisite to grace is realizing, man, I need that. I need that. And if God's tugging on your life, if He's getting after you right now, don't ignore His voice. Let's be a people that share good news, not good advice. And let's cultivate a heart for those around us who were once like us. Because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes when we forget what we've been rescued from, what's in our past. And we have a heart of judgment and self-righteousness towards people. But then we remind ourselves with lists like this. Oh yeah, I used to run in that. Yeah. And I forgot what that was like. And I forgot that moment when God's grace came to me, right? Yeah. And that just gets rid of all that self-righteousness and all that pride. Yeah. Let's share the only thing that has any power at all to put an end to anything, which is the work of Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. And as a sinner, guys, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for my time here. I love what you're doing um, in this place, in this campus. And um, I'm, just, I'm just overwhelmed. Um, so thank you for, God, this passage. Uh, thank you that uh, we can be encouraged by other people's stories. And even though we are thousands of years removed uh, from when this letter was written, we see that you've been changing people's stories um, for a long, long time. Yeah. And even though it's a totally different part of the world, Asia Minor, and here we are over in the States, their stories are the same and they've come to meet you in the same way that we're meeting you today. God, give us a heart for people. Help us to quit being morons. Help us to quit being self-righteous folks that are scared, right? Help us to just go love people. Get to know them. Get to know their stories. Serve them. Love them. Care for them. Right? And who cares if they ever even embrace Christ? Just love them because God's loved us. And just love you because you're an image bearer. Right? You're made in God's, God's image. And you're valuable. And you're worth, you're worth something. And so we love people because of that. 
So thank you, God. May our, may our hearts be strengthened and encouraged that the gospel is powerful. I feel like a lot of times we don't share the gospel because we adopt the view of people who don't know it as foolishness. We think that this simple message is foolish, and so we don't share it. We don't talk about it, and we're ashamed of it. God, give us confidence in your gospel. And even in these stories that we've shared here from 1 Peter 4, may we have confidence that your gospel can change people's stories, change people's lives, flip the script of their story. So God, we give all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.